Okay, welcome back to another episode of Peace Off, the official podcast of Fantasy Ski Racer, and newly reformatted to become the official podcast of Just Talking Ski Racing. Um, very exciting guest we have on today, uh, none other than the American downhiller himself, Marco Sullivan. Marco, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me here today. Absolutely, Taco. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. So, um, first of all, I'd like to publicly thank you for uh, getting my wife and I some American Downhiller hats for Kitzbühel. That was uh, a real treat, and we felt very um, uh, very in, in, in the club, as they say, uh, for the for the, the, the Kitzbühel event. And, um, was, <laughs> I, I was following your social media. It looked like you guys killed it over there. Well, it also looked like you might have you might have swiped a few pictures from me too. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I figured it was the least I could do for your for your efforts. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we appreciate it. good marketing. Abs- well, I, I appreciate you uh, you seeing me as a, a valuable marketing tool. So uh, I guess I've done something right. Having, it's pretty cool seeing like how many people are making that pilgrimage over to Kitzbühel every year to to watch you know what's obviously the biggest race, biggest World Cup race of the year. That and Schladming, and it seems like people are figuring out that that's like if you want to be in the scene for ski racing, it's pretty much a trip you got to put on your bucket list. So I'm glad you got it done. Absolutely, thank you for the the applause on that. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> It's amazing to go that far away from home or, you know, from home soil and run into that many people in skiing that you know and how comfortable, like, being in a foreign country you can feel when you're surrounded by ski racing. Yeah, and it's just such a scene that you never would witness on American soil <laughs> from a ski racing perspective. Right, there's not, so cool there's not exactly... Also, just the party of, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous a lot of times, but if you're able to focus on the race and see how prepared the racers are getting and, like, how much intensity there is around that venue, it's so cool. It's like, as a, I know you're a ski coach and seeing, like, how those guys ended up at the pinnacle of the sport, I think it's just exciting to see those guys and talk to them about it. Absolutely. And one thing that I thought was uh, fairly interesting, first of all, I think every young ski racer should go to a World Cup and see that, you know, in a tech event, you know, obviously you got the top 30 start second run, but in speed, everybody gets to start. But just to notice that, you know, when we watch this top level of skiing, it's always on television, it's on YouTube, it's on the NBC app or whatever. And the reality, and it's all condensed and it's all you know, looks really presentable and whatnot. But the reality is, is they, these races and what these racers are going through isn't really any different than going to a U12 or a U14 qualifier on a weekend. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, there are very similar parallels. The difference is, it's just the level of skiing's better. Yeah, exactly. And those guys have put in the time and like you and I were talking before the, the show a little bit, um, about just the dynamics and the technique of skiing. And skiing is a simple sport at its roots. It's like a few key movements you have to do well. But 
from a U14 level to a Kitzbühel level, it's like those guys have just become more comfortable with executing those movements on harder terrain and comfortable with pushing the limits, you know, and obviously the equipment is top, top notch. They all have factory service and it's just, it's cool to see what the human body can do when you throw it down a mountain like that. And those guys are willing to take the risk. And this year, I think, you know, there's some crashes, but luckily no big injuries. Um, there's some good crashes. That's for sure. There, yeah. We saw our boy, Jared Goldberg took a tumble. Um, luckily he walked away from it, but it's always a, a scary race to watch. And as a, a racer, when I was doing it, it was like, I always took a big sigh of relief when I was in the finish, you know, it's like <laughs> the most rewarding thing. And also just the, uh, the pressure's off once you cross that finish line. So that was always nice. <laughs> Well, I uh, I can only empathize with that since uh, you know I myself. I mean, I slipped the strife. With, uh, Scotty Venus with took us through jury inspection and and uh, kind of talked about some of the finer points, especially through the Hausberg area and the Zielschuch and um, that. I thought the Zielschuch. I looked at that and I went, okay, this this is. I mean, because the Mouse of Folly is kind of right off the bat. You're still. I know you're going really fast, but. You know, it seems kind of manageable. I mean, I'm definitely naive in saying that, but but for me, kind of standing on the top of the Zielschuh and seeing that how that right-footed fall away transitions into a straight down the fall line jump into you know this massive pitch where you hit the highest speeds of the whole race, and that that moment to me was like put it in perspective. Like, wow, this is where the cojones really start to. Because that's also a moment where that's their last, the last speed generation you're getting them to run too. So, right there, you're letting it all hang out. I feel like in the the, the in the Hausberg and then Hausberg jump in the in the Mousefolly and stuff, there is a little bit of management involved because you've got some terrain and some pieces coming up afterwards. But then you get into that Zielschuh and it's like, okay, time to let it all hang. And that to me, the, yeah. between the the the, the 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 angle of that pitch. And, and just how it just that was very powerful to, to kind of soak in. Absolutely. Now you nailed it with that um, description, like of the Hausberg. To me, you talk about like ski racers having kind of demons in their past with crashes and stuff. The first time I ever raced Kitzbühel, the first training run actually, I crashed on that right footer after the Hausberg jump, and I cartwheeled into the fence, and I like got a hairline fracture on my leg, and. It was just not a good introduction. <laughs> oh man! I, I ended up I ended up racing Kitzbühel like twelve times after that, or eleven times, something like that. And uh, that turn, like I never nailed it in all those times. It was always in my head, looking at that fence on the right. And it's such a classic place for guys to crash, and that's the same spot that I'm talking about is where Axel and Hannes Reichelt and uh, George Streitberger last year all blew out their knees. Or I guess Reichelt didn't blow his knee, but um, you know, it's where Todd Brooker ended his career. It's where all these amazing crashes have happened, and you mm-hmm. start like stacking up that footage in your head, and it start, it's hard to hard to just go in there and charge it with with no no reservations, you know. So absolutely, and, in my mind, that was definitely one of the hardest turns in ski racing. And I'm and you said it. I, I'm willing to bet Axel would completely agree with you because I sta- I stood at the, the you know I stood at the Hausberg 
jump for for the actual you know top thirty in the downhill, and you know that you know Axel who won the day before on the Super G, which was an abbreviated version of the actual downhill track, um, coming out of just below the they, they started just below the downhill start, and you know he won the day before and then came into the downhill and even he. I mean, he took the longest, widest path of anybody coming into that Houseburg. And you could tell, like, you know, this guy who should clearly be dominating this race is or or should feel confident enough to dominate this track just couldn't do it. Yeah, I totally agree. You could tell that his mind was already two gates ahead. You know, when he was on the flats above the Houseburg, he was something in his head was telling him, to slow down, you know, <laughs> that's like a section with his skill and his, um, focus. Like he would always nail a section like that. And the fact that he kind of dropped the anchor, dropped the anchor right before Hausberg is, I'm um, obviously he didn't want to do it, but I think sometimes those subconscious, um, alarm bells just are overpowering. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it, it, you know, honestly, like his, his, um, the lighting wasn't that much, worse than when it was for Dresden and Dresden had the best visibility all day I mean it was the only time we saw the sun in eight days we were in Europe but you know it wasn't that far <laughs> off for when Axel went yeah so let's uh, let's exciting. <laughs> absolutely uh so let's 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 talk about um let's shift back into a little bit of development but like I think this this segues uh semi segues into um, speed skiing in, in the United States and speed skiing development. I know you've spent a lot of time doing projects and camps right now. And um, what 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 is your general feeling and grasp of uh, development in the United States right now of of speed skiing? Yeah, I've got to uh, coach the MPS camp in Copper in the last two years, which this November or this December rather was my second time doing it, and that MPS. Um, project is basically they're bringing in 50 of the top U16s in the country, men and women, and there's some U14s there as well. Um, but you know, there's a lot of good skiing going on. It's I, I hear a lot about you know certain programs are cutting out downhill, and honestly, we didn't actually train any straight up downhill at these camps, even though it was we had four days of speed. Um, a lot of it was a progression into mm-hmm. jumping and into full length super G training, but you get all these kids together and they're pushing each other, they're having fun. And I don't think it's a lot different than any other time in our, at least in the, the past that I've seen the past 20 years. Um, you know, I think the level is right there. There's a lot of kids who are pushing each other. And especially there was a group of boys out of Steamboat who was like, there's five of them at this camp, I think, and just fired up to be there. Really exciting um, to watch these guys. So I think we're on a good track. It's hard to say how that's going to develop into World Cup racers, but you always hear people kind of bagging on the development system, but I think there is a lot of good skiing going on out there. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the thing about it doesn't matter what your, you know, administration of your program's doing, doesn't matter what the administration of USSA is doing. I mean, the people on the ground floor, the coaches, the people who are driving the passion and the love are always going to do that. And that's what's made us, I think, made us thrive for the last however many decades. Um, 
But let me ask you this, like now that you're seeing what we're doing with youth at that age, at, at that development age right now with speed, how is that different than when you were growing up? You know, honestly, when I was coming through, there was really no focused speed projects. I mean, I grew up in the far west, you know, raised for Squaw Valley, and we would have like a speed series at Mammoth every spring, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, a couple of downhills, a couple of Super Gs, and maybe we have a couple Super Gs throughout the season, but um, I really remember becoming enamored with speed just because through like free skiing mostly you know growing up in squad and skiing a ton and and just trying to be the fastest guy everywhere whether or not you're in a course i think that kind of, that translated really well once we started actually racing speed but before like a noram level um i started racing norams probably when i was 17 18 i don't remember a whole lot of speed going on before that except for these spring um like speed series at mammoth so most of your training growing up was just being in an environment that enabled you to um, kind of just explore it on your own. And then as you got older and more into the, in, into the scene, I mean, was it just a training being at like a Noram Speed event? I mean, that's you know, one thing that's really cool about Speed is that it's a week-long event versus tech that's like day-to-day. I mean, is that where you're getting like most that. of your mileage? Yeah, I think that's really where you get the mileage. And I remember, like, Squaw would have, um, we would do, like, night skiing on our downhill skis down the mountain run just to try and get some time on our longboards because it's really hard to find, like, speed training venues. You know, no one wants to set them up. And and to get on your downhill skis, you need a pretty lengthy run to piece together some turns. So we did a lot of just kind of free skiing on our downhill skis when – when there wasn't a lot of public around. Um, because I just feel like a lot of, of downhill racing is like getting used to that equipment. You know, those a pair of downhill skis where you don't really, you're not able to arc a turn until you're going like 40 miles an hour, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's so, so different than the tech event. So just skiing on those boards, getting some space to do that. But uh, I don't remember a lot of actual dedicated training except for once you got to, a, a race like a Noram and you'd have a handful of training runs to really get comfortable. So when you would do these, these free skiing, uh, this, these free skiing blocks, like in the evening at, at squad and stuff, was this a, was this, was this like, like, um, designed by the coaches? Like today we'll train GS and then tonight we're going to go run our speed skis in, or was this something that you guys as athletes were like, we got to get some extra time in. this seems to be the only time we can do it. So let's go for it. No, I think it was uh, by design of the coaches. It's usually like one night a week. Um, I think it was like Wednesday nights, and we'd get pizza at the Chamois and lap the tram and try and beat the tram down the mountain run. You know, <laughs> like oh, sick. it was a it was a fun a fun night, and you got time on your on your speed skis. So it wasn't something we were doing like you know three or four days a week. It was more an event that the team would put on once a week and. I could be, I could have my memory, like, you know, I, maybe I did get more time on the skis than I'm thinking, but like those nights really stood out because they were, they were fun and they served a purpose of, of getting in your tuck and going fast and, and being able to work in your downhill, downhill skis. 
Gosh, I feel like that what you just described that right there is a, a whole chapter out of the book Top Dog about <laughs> athlete of creating a competitive athlete environment. That's uh, that that's that seems kind of textbook to me. I hope everybody picked up on that. So what? Uh, so what's what's? I know that there's been you've had a lot of uh, attention for creating this this. American downhiller vibe and the one thing that I said that I thought that was really cool and I, I was talking to Darren about this in Kitzbühel and I was like you know you know you've you've retired um Nyman's years are, are numbered and you know we still look at Goldberg and Bryce Bennett and those guys as the young dudes but they're not the young dudes anymore and you know I felt like before you know with Bodie and you and Nyman there was a pretty strong cultural identity of names there and I think these guys are stepping up to become names. But I think the, my, one of my favorite parts about this, our men's speed team is the camaraderie. And I think what this American downhiller thing does is gives it even more sense of an identity. So I think, you, you know, I know that there's more pieces to it. And I'll let you speak to those. But to me, I see this as giving this, giving this, uh, this side of our skiing culture a stronger sense of identity kind of draws in more pride, uh, a sense of belonging. Um, you know, as a fan, you, you know, I, you know, I'm constantly rooting for just that, that piece alone. Um, you know, yeah, that, absolutely. I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty excited that it's, it is growing into being that piece. Um, when I started up, you know, we just—it was kind of a, a phrase or that I coined the American downhillers, just as like it, it wasn't—it was just a name for our group, and I at the time didn't think of much of it. But as we started kind of identifying as you know the the crew that races World Cup downhill, it's very small. Mm-hmm. It's usually usually five to eight guys who are starting the World Cups, and you travel together all year round and. And there's definitely camaraderie within the group, but I feel like with this American downhiller movement, if you will, it's like it's taking that camaraderie to a wider base and and just getting some uh, a lot of fans to get behind those guys and and it definitely matters to the racers. When you're in Europe, you kind of feel like you're in your little bubble and you're not sure if anybody's watching, but I think as the fan base for the downhillers grows, like they gain a more pride in what they're doing and more a sense of like, they want to perform for their country and for the American downhiller fan base. So they know people are watching. And I think that's slowly taken shape. Um, you know, like you said, with the younger guys or not even the younger guys, you know, we've got Bryce and Jared who are, I think 25 and 26. Now they're reaching are coming into what should be the prime of their World Cup career, um, and they don't have a lot of mentors. With you know, with Travis getting hurt this year and Stephen getting hurt, it's up to those guys to kind of start forming their own brand and their own the next chapter of American downhiller. You know, so yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's exciting to watch, and I'm really hoping that they can embrace that and and uh, move forward and keep the tradition alive. You know. Yeah, it's definitely you know that's the one thing that I that I was kind of picking. I mean, it's a sense I've sensed it for a couple seasons now, but to be over there and to be around it, you know, 
you know, I'm kind of looking at all, all, all those dudes right now, and I'm going, who's who's the, who's going to step up here? Who's going to be the 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 voice? Who's going to be the leader? Because I know, you know, just Nyman, whether he's skiing fast or not, that that his presence drives a huge piece of the culture there. You know, where it on any given day, he's he's inspiring the rest of the whole to want to perform, and you know, I think. You know, you said it. I think you know. Moving forward, that, that this American downhiller movement is going to help those guys kind of empower empower them to become okay. Who, who uh, where am I in this group? Where am I in this in this in, in this um, sport moving forward for my country, for my team? You know, because you know, I've I've said it time and time again. I mean, even though skiing is an individual sport, it takes a team to get there. You know, you, yeah, need, you need the people around you. No, yeah, and the downhill guys especially. It's like those guys are taking a lot of risks every weekend, and it helps to have your buddy beside you who's taking the same risks and and is on par with your own feelings. And, um, you know, going back to the, the guys who are there now, one kid that I've been watching a lot this year is Wiley Maple. Yep. Not, offic- not officially a U.S. key team member. Um, worked his butt off to get – back healthy this year after missing like the last two to three seasons basically of with injuries and uh he's on the olympic team now you know and he's i think he's 27 years old so one of the older guys in the group right now but he's had some he's scoring world cup points that decent results and i think he's finally getting a sense of belonging on that in that group and on the world cup tour and hopefully we'll see him you know as a name member of the u.s ski team next year he can be another contributing piece to the American downhiller crew for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, he's definitely proving that scoring world cup points. That was one thing going back to our conversation about kits is like the super G man, that thing started, I think it was scheduled to start at 1130. I think it got pushed back a little bit, but I mean, he didn't race till three thirty in the afternoon. I mean, sitting in a <laughs> North facing European speed track, hanging out in the athlete room, watching everybody go, and you're not for about four, your inspection was four or five hours ago, and now you're in the start. And the guy went down, and scored, scored points. I mean, that's a ballsy move. That's that's saying you know I'm going to make some chicken stew out of chicken poo right now. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's showing that he wants it. You know, and I know he's put in so much work, just being kind of spurned by the ski team. He's had you know he was working, um, he was delivering ribs for a restaurant in Aspen this summer like to make some extra money and he's working he's doing fundraising and trying to piece in his training in between all this and I'm just so stoked to see him succeeding and I think he if he can stay healthy which I you know with his new work ethic I think he will um, yeah I think he's he's on the up and up and so it'll be fun to watch and it's like all these guys they have a story and if you're deeply kind of involved with them or watching their progression, it's it's just cool to see where they end up. And, and I think this weekend with the Olympics is, is going to be fun to watch. You know, we're, we can maybe talk more about that in a bit, but we don't have a lot of content, like metal contenders or metal favorites, but just to see where those guys, like what they bring out in themselves and in their skiing, it's going to be going to be exciting to watch. Absolutely, and Americans had have had success in all the test events over there. And you got, even though it wasn't necessarily those guys, you know, Nyman and, and 
Um, Ganon were the ones that did did very well over there. But you got to imagine that, you know, if they're connecting with the boys um, while they're over there, then you know they're going to get a little bit extra insight on into what's going on because it's it is an experience. You know, you get to you get to this late twenties, and yeah, it's time to hit your stride. You ski these tracks three, four times already, and it's time to start absorbing that information. Um, I think there's also something to be said about skiing World Cup but not being named because I think you you're in the big show. You know, you're fighting you're fighting for you know the biggest prestige in the world, but at the same time, you've got this chip on your shoulder because it's like I am good enough to be here, yet my my governing body hasn't deemed me good enough to actually consider me a part of it. So I think, you know, for him, there is a, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to speak for Wiley, but I know that there's some level of like, you know, when the pressure's off and you're just skiing for you, there's a little, there's a little bit of freedom in that. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think that's produced some great results in the past. Um, usually hopefully it's short-lived because once you have those great results usually your governing body gets their act together and puts you on the team you know (laughs) yeah right um i like i can only really speak of my own experiences you know my late in my career i was got demoted to the b team one year because i was outside the top 30 after an injury and uh that i had a couple great results right at the start of the next season i actually ended up on the podium in lake louise because I had had to fundraise and get money to pay for the, pay the team for some expenses, and there was a sense of of like I'm going to show you guys, you know, that I am worth it and I am one of the top racers, and so that like added the fuel to the fire. And at a World Cup level, it's like everyone's such a good ski racer. It's just if you can add something to your mental approach that allows you to attack a little bit harder, that's always going to help. Um, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And unfortunately, I've actually heard it from the coaches' standpoint. Sometimes they try and create that where they throw a little adversity in and hope the guy reacts to it, you know, which I don't necessarily think is the best route, but it is a proven thing, you know. <laughs> like, that's that's Canada's that's Canada's development system. We're not going to name you. You got to pay for this yourself, and hopefully, that creates the the fire that you need. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it from, I know there's a lot of kind of controversy now about how much it costs to be on the USQ team and whatnot, but if you approach it a little from a different angle, look at it as kind of an investment in your future, if you're able to look at it that way, you know, like some people don't realize that to win a World Cup race or when you win a World Cup race, the prize money is a minimum of 30,000 Swiss francs, you know, usually, so, you know, about 30,000 bucks. Like Kitzbühel's seventy thousand euro. It's like if you are able to uh, to jump the hurdles to get up to that level and then have success, you're really, you know, it works. It's just unfortunate that it only works for like the few people that get there. Right. But it's just kind of a different way to look at it. Like the team fees and whatnot. It could, in a sense, be an investment to bigger things. You know, if you can make that work out. Well, you know, when you put it on the athlete, they think you're also, you know, and I'm not trying to advocate for this being, you know, the norm, but, you know, which it's become. But, you know, I think when you when you when you put it on the athlete to have to 
to kind of take responsibility for it. Um, you know, all of a sudden there's more ownership, accountability. You're racing for more than just yourself. And I think the longer you you take this, the further you take this sport, the longer you stay in it, fighting for to have just an ounce of success, you're going to learn more about yourself and who you are as a person and where you're going in this life than any college degree will ever give you. Yeah, there's great life lessons for sure. And, you know, for the record, I'm not advocating those team fees either, but it is kind of the norm now. So to try and, like, look at it in a positive light, I think, for sure, can help. And and uh, just trying to get to spur the development of, of more great ski racers is the end goal. So however we can do that. Well, you've certainly, you've certainly put it in a positive light for me. I, I, um, so speak, speaking of racing, though, um, let's, let's, and I know you're, we're doing, you're doing a lot of camps right now, but let's talk about the other part of your, uh, your, your life after World Cup career, and, uh, which also includes a lot of racing yourself. What, uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your NASTAR uh, penalty right now? I have a NAS- national pace setter for NASCAR. Um, I think my handicap is like about a two, which means I'm like two um, percent behind the fastest guy. Which this year is Casey Puckett, who's like legendary in Casey Puckett is getting you racing. What's that? Casey Puckett is getting you. Oh yeah. Well, we had we had pace setting trials in Copper. And all the U.S. ski team boys came out, and I was there. Darren was there, and Casey cleaned cleaned house on everybody. He was the fastest guy. I think River Radimus was second. Um, Ted didn't take his jacket off, so he was a little bit behind. Oh <laughs> but, wow! Um, you know, Casey is—he. I don't know if everyone's familiar with Casey Puckett, but he's a five-time Olympian. Um, one of those was in skier cross after his racing career. But he's in his uh, mid-40s now, and he's, like, just he's as fast as ever when you get him on a 20-second GS course. <laughs> so, yeah, that guy is an animal. He is a different kind of animal. I've had a lot of long conversations with him about the, the mental component, and he has his own complete different ex- uh, perspective that, you know, emulates a lot of what, you know, a lot of top level athletes have, but, you know, like I said, in that self-discovery component, you know, his self-discovery is, looks a quite a bit different than the rest of ours. Yeah, he was a, he's a unique guy, you know, and he's, um, he's coaching at Aspen now, so it's good to have his perspective in the ski world still, and, um, and he's still fast. But back <laughs> to NASDAQ, um, I've been making some trips with the NASDAQ crew, I think I have three trips this year, um, mostly on the East Coast and the Midwest, and doing pace setting for the local courses. I've been in Vermont and Pennsylvania, Virginia. I'm going to Michigan this weekend, actually, for the Midwest Champs. Wow. And it's been pretty funny. It's like um, definitely a lot of resorts that I have never been to and would never go to if I was only racing you know, at a higher level, but you get to these smaller areas and the people are like, they're still super passionate about skiing. You know, we get probably 150 people out to these events and, um, they're racing. It's a dual style format and a lot of, 
it's all different ages, five years old up to we've had an eighty nine year old racing this year. <laughs> wow. And and uh I think it's fun for them to see if a former world class level racer come to their little town and luckily I usually stay ahead of most of them. <laughs> and, uh, and it's all good, you know. So it's a way, definitely grassroots of of ski racing, and it's kind of a way for me to give back um, to the to the grassroots of American skiing. You know, it's it's a theme that I never really saw when I was racing on the World Cup. So it's been yeah. fun. Well, yeah, and that's the thing too is like you know you you grow up in these big ski towns that have you know this incredible history of success and producing great skiers all all across the board in the sport of not just ski racing but everywhere you know all all aspects of it but to go to these little podunk you know I, I don't mean to, for that to sound derogatory but these smaller places where you know and, and discover that wow that the lifeblood is definitely pumping here i think i think that's that's a pretty rad rad point of view i mean the biggest beer league in the country is at Wachusett Mountain an hour outside of Boston. Yeah, you know? exactly. I was I was just at Wachusett last month. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, they they have just busloads of high school kids coming in after school the race. And this hill, you know, it's the size of like the beginner slope at at uh like my area, you know, Squaw Valley. It's like just a little pinky of of the size, but um, the Stoke level is like just as high. You know, they have tons of people running through gates, and admittedly, it's popular there because there's not a lot else to do. You know, they have maybe a small park, and they've got their race hill. And the people who choose to do the race, it's like they're loving it. They're having a great time. They they're running hundreds of people through the race course every day. And yeah, it's just cool to see that that vibe is still alive. Pretty cool. Absolutely. So so um. Back to American Downhill for a second. You guys have got some. You're doing. You're putting on some some camps here, or some exclusive camps. Like, what is that? Is that is that right? And what what does that what does that stuff consist of? Yeah. So we actually we just do one main camp a year, which I just released the dates this year. It's going to be May 16 to 21, in, out in Mammoth, um, Mammoth Mountain, California, and it, the biggest reason why we only do one is because we're trying to keep the coaching level like super high and all Mm -hmm. of our coaches consist of guys who are on the world cup now or formerly olympians and world cuppers um so there's like a tight window where we can get everyone together but basically we're we're focusing on speed you know teaching the kids how to safely jump and be have speed good speed tactics and aerodynamics and and the coaches, like our main coach, uh, John O. McBride, is, he's the head coach of the U.S. ski team, men's team right now. And he's also a coach at our camp. You know, we have Darren Rouse as the coach. I'm there. Stephen Nyman is going to be there, uh, not on skis again this year, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah, right. Um, for the girls, we have um, Leanne Smith, you know, former Olympian. Alice McKinnis, who's over in Korea right now. It's just like a really fun staff. And Bryce Bennett is one of the coaches. He's over in Korea right now racing. So it's like a pretty rare opportunity to mix these um, Olympians with the kids, you know, and it's like five days of basically being shoulder to shoulder with all the, some of the best speed racers in the country. So 
it's a really cool format. And that's kind of my whole uh, premise with these camps is I'm just trying to to increase the time that the World Cupers can spend with the kids and, and get that cross-pollination going where a lot of their knowledge is passed on because it's pretty rare to get um, you know people with that kind of knowledge of the sport like right in front of you and to learn from them. So, yeah, that's the deal. Just one camp right now, but um, registration for the camp is actually going to open this Sunday after the World Cup or after the Olympic downhill happens. So that seems appropriate. Yeah. Right, right, right. When the Stoke levels at its peak, let's sign up for this camp. Totally. Good tactics. What? So where do you sign up? Um, AmericanDownhiller.com. And is that a first come first serve thing? Like you know, you get on it early and then and you're in. Or yeah. okay, exactly. We're open to uh, junior racers, U14 and above. And you know, last year we had every we had a 12 year old all the way up to a 20 year old. We were a little concerned of how that was going to work with the different ability levels, but mm-hmm. um, we had 10 coaches on the hill, and we were able to really segment. Um, skiers out by different levels and and get them what they needed so we're sticking with the same format of having one big group and everyone kind of learns from each other and and last year was a really positive experience for everybody so um we're just excited to do it again how many kids were how many kids do you are you are you hoping to facilitate here what's the goal number Uh, we're trying to get 32 kids and it works out to kind of a four to one coach to athlete ratio that's pretty um, fantastic last year we actually had we might have more coaches coming on board we'll see but yeah 32 kids um boys and girls and um eight olympian coaches and yeah that is what it is it's like good times for all well i think you know your your fundamental basis of of re or philosophy of bringing this thing together is spot on i think just like coaching being an athlete is an apprenticeship program i mean you know there isn't one book in ski racing where it's outlined exactly how you're supposed to do things i mean there's a lot of ways to get from point a to point b and being surrounded by as many people or having as many different experiences you can to expand your own bag of tricks and your own perspective that's how you get better absolutely and like with the staff that we have at these camps you know every every night one of the olympians tells has kind of a a chalk talk or a speech or just a talk about whatever they want and last year was really cool to see what they talked about like the things that made a difference in their career you know for alice mckinnis it was a lot about her teammates of the the women's downhill team is a really tight bond and they helped themselves um just leaning on each other and and being really strong for each other helps them ski fast where Bryce Bennett and Steven Nyman talked more about their own process and like checking every box from point A to point Z of like equipment and health and training and it was just making sure that you are doing everything you can do on every level and Bryce actually gave out checklists to all the kids oh cool of like of things that that helped him and you saw those kids just like you know they took it home and and i'm sure they were all like had it on the wall you know yeah <laughs> just to, to have that insight from an olympian is super cool and and like you said everyone's got their own story of how they got there and and uh it's yeah it's fun to see 
Absolutely. Marco, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, good luck in Michigan this weekend. I hope there isn't uh, some young buck coming out of the woodwork to uh, snipe a platinum from underneath you. But um... <laughs> Thanks, buddy. It'll be uh, same day as the Olympic downhills happen, and I'll be racing NASCAR in Michigan. So the times have changed a bit, but <laughs> it's all the same. I mean, you still have a tech, right? You still have a tech t- taking care of your boards at these, right? That's one thing I didn't mention, actually, is I'm uh, newly an ambassador for Technica Blizzard. So oh, you are? I've got, yeah, and I got uh, the some new Firebirds from Blizzard. They're like kind of a, a cheater GS ski, they call it. You know, it's like yep. 18 meter radius, but they rip on a NASDAQ course. So feeling pretty good about my chances. Well, I think when you're on Tech Blizz, you're always giving yourself a chance. Booyah. Let me double plug that one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, Taco. It's been fun. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. You've been listening to Peace Off, the official podcast of Fantasy Ski Racer and the dorkiest, dorkiest of the dorkiest uh, nuanced conversations of ski racing. Um, Thank you again.